in USRPT considered kind of the longest repeat that you're going to do would be a hundred. Um, you know, so we work in a 25 yard pool the majority of the time. So, um, you know, what we do is, is we do 75s, 50s and 25s as well. You know, I've, I've kind of modified things in working with it over the years where, um, and just tried out different things and, you know, we'll go as far as, uh, 150s typically. That triathlon show, 165. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Tim Floyd. Tim is a swim coach specializing in triathlon swimming. He has a squad where he's located in Texas called the Magnolia Masters, and he has coached both amateur and professional triathletes. And over the last few years, he has uh, used a training methodology based on ultra-short race pace training, or USRPT for short, as a cornerstone of his training program. And uh, we will discuss this training methodology in today's interview, and we'll get into questions like what is USRPT and uh, how can it be used and applied in a triathlon swim training program. We'll talk about typical USRPT workouts, the anecdotal and scientific background of USRPT, and how to include USRPT in a typical training week as well as over an entire periodized season. Before we get into the interview though, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Retool. No matter how advanced or beginner level you are, you need to be comfortable on the bike. That helps keep your body aligned and it helps prevent injuries. If you have a good comfortable position, you can also produce more power and you can sustain that power for a longer duration. I have used Retool bike fits for both my road bike and my triathlon bike and uh, I think that it's a really, really brilliant system. I trust it very, very much. You can learn more about the Retool bike fit process on retool.com forward slash TTS as in that triathlon show and Retool is spelled R-E-T-U-L. Go to that page and find your nearest Retool experience center and schedule an appointment. Big thanks also to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They make electrolyte products that you can use in your training and racing to replace the electrolytes and especially sodium that you lose through your sweat. And this might otherwise lead to serious problems like serious cramps or just plain old reduced performance. Precision Hydration now is available in Australia and New Zealand as well. And uh, with the Southern Hemisphere being in their summer season, this is uh, perfect timing. Uh, make sure that you go and check out Precision Hydration and uh, try their electrolytes. And you can use that for free with uh, the promo code Show, all one word, all caps. That will give you your first box for free. And you can try it out and uh, see if you like it and uh, then come back for more. Without any further ado, let's uh, get into the interview with uh, Tim Floyd. I'm here with coach Tim Floyd to talk about ultra short race pace training or USRPT for short. Tim, how are you? 
I'm great. How are you, Michael? Really good. And uh, I'm excited. I'm pumped after our short uh, pre-interview chat about uh, this topic that's coming up. It's uh, going to be exciting to to learn more about it because uh, you're somebody who really knows most of what there is to know about this topic, it seems. So tell us, what is USRPT and what's uh, sort of the background of it? Yeah, so USRPT is it's uh, it means ultra short race pace training, and it came out of um, a, a, an exercise scientist by the name of Brent Rushall. He's a professor at uh, UC San Diego, and um, you know he was looking at swimmers and swimming and was looking at the science and knew the science pretty well behind kind of what was coming out at the time. And had seen kind of how swimmers typically train. There's, you know, there's a, a fairly big divide within the swimming community around um, what the best protocol is to, to get to be a, a fast swimmer. You know, is it, do you pursue kind of a, a volume approach to things? So a lot, a lot of time and, and, and um, distance in the water. Uh, or do you kind of pursue more of a race pace kind of high intensity kind of strategy where you do a lot less volume? Um, and he was looking at it and looked at all the science. And you can, if you look up USRPT online, um, and there's a, a website hosted by, I think, UCSD that um, gives basically his whole ideas around this swimming protocol, this training protocol. And you can look at it and all the all the studies that he cites, but effectively what he's what he argues is that you know you can get a lot more efficiency, you can get kind of the the same amount of um, speed increases in speed increases in efficiency from effectively doing half the volume of a traditional volume approach to training. And uh, that's to, to, been to be kind clear of here. That's the traditional swim volume, pool swimmer volume. Yeah, and and look, it, it it's you know in, in some ways it's a it's an argument that is within triathlon itself. Um, on you know because I mean the the idea kind of like of ten four hundreds, which is you know if you're looking to train for an Ironman, um, the the traditional kind of what what seems to be a really ubiquitous set within triathlon training or four one thousands. Um that would be a very orthodox traditional um swim training set. I mean for if if you're you, although if you're training for a swimmer for um uh, uh basically a four thousand meter swim or a thirty eight hundred meter swim open water, um the set wouldn't be ten four hundreds, it would probably be more like twenty four hundreds. Um, or 25 100s. So, uh, you know, the, there's there's some kind of little bit of differences there. But in, in some regards, it's it's the same debate that kind of goes on within within triathlon or starting to go on within triathlon now. So can you, can you clarify a bit, uh, perhaps by giving some example workouts, both uh, uh, for shorter distances, like from more traditional pool swimming um, perspective, yeah. as well as for a triathlon perspective, how uh, what USRPT means in practice? Yeah, so I think if if your listeners go on and look at USRPT, it, it's definitely written from the perspective of how do we train swimmers? And this is how do we gain the maximum amount of efficiency at a really, really competitive level. 
And that's when, you know, you're looking at, hey, uh, swimmers, we've got, you know, typically a college program will have, you know, basically about 20 hours a week to train an athlete for a particular event. So, you know, the one thing that I found out when um, I came in and started to work with triathletes was, you know, I'd ask them, well, you know, you want to do an Ironman swim or you want to do a, a sprint distance event. Um, how many hours a week do you have to train for the swim? You know, and typically, and everyone will be pretty familiar with this, it's, it's you know, on average, it's about three to four hours a week to train for the swim. And that's a lot um, for triathletes would be three to four hours. Um, in reality, uh, it, it's not really enough from the swimming perspective to cover everything you need. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, where you ask kind of what are some example sets for sprint distance, half and, and full Ironman kind of distances? Well, you know, if you're looking at, um, you know, sprint distance, so 500 meters to 750 meters yards, 750 meters. Um, in swimming, that would be considered a distance event. Um, if you're looking at kind of a half Ironman, so uh, where um, you've got, I guess it's what, 1,900 meters. Yep. Again, it would be considered a distance event. Um, you know, open water swim, typically open water swims in swimming now start at around five kilometers. So 3.8K, you're kind of getting in the ballpark, but you know, even then you're, you're considered a, a distance event. So, um, you know, and these guys would swim, you know, kind of on the low end. Um, you're probably looking at around 60,000 meters a week. Um, on the high end, you'd have some programs, maybe even now going as high as like 85, 90,000 meters in a week. Um, so when you, when you kind of try to break it down into, Hey, what's the difference between training for a sprint distance event and an Ironman? Well, in reality, you're not doing enough for even the sprint distance race. So the, the training ends up looking fairly similar where, um, I mean, a, a good event, a good kind of basically, set that I would use in a, in a buildup to an Ironman from, from a USRPT perspective would be, um, we'd go try to get up somewhere around 25, one hundredths. Um, and this is, I'll, I'll kind of give a lot of these times in yards cause we're typically kind of working in yards, yeah, no over problem. Here. but it would be say 25, one hundredths. And I'll, I'll give you kind of, um, I've worked with a lot of pros. So, um, I'll give you what uh, we've been, what kind of like a, a pro coming out in like first out of the water would be. So it'd be 25 one hundredths um, where the athlete would try to hold, call it 58 to 59 per hundred yards, ideally on about 120, so around 20 seconds of rest. And, um, you just do that over and over again until you failed. Um, so effectively what you do would be if you're going through 25, one hundredths, um, you let's say they make it through number 15 and they're able to hold 58 the whole time. And let's say at number 15, they go, they come in at one Oh one. Well, you'd sit out the next one. So you'd sit out number 16 and then jump back in 
and continue take the rest that you norm that you normally get. So that you you effectively get around a minute forty seconds rest. Um, then jump back in on number seventeen and try to get back on track holding fifty eight and continue to try to make as many as you can at fifty eight. And if you can make it through all twenty five, great. If you can't, if you fail a second time. Um, you know, according to kind of Rushall and his thinking is that effectively what your body's telling you is that you've made all the adaptation to that training load for that day that you can, so that there's really no point, um, in trying to push through it and continue because all you're going to be doing is basically replicating slower mechanics over and over again. So if you're going slower, um, you're less efficient. The mechanics aren't as good. Um, there's no point in really trying to, to push through it so that effectively, if let's say you make it through number to number 21, then the rest of them, all you do is just kind of go easy where you make the interval until you're finished. Mm. Okay. So uh, several follow-up questions on that. Uh, first, how, yeah, how sure. do we f- define ultra short? You mentioned the 100 meter yeah. example. Um, yeah. So that would be, that would be in, in USRPT considered kind of the longest repeat that you're going to do would be a hundred. Okay. Um, you know, so we work in a 25 yard pool the majority of the time. So, um, you know, what we do is, is we do 75s, 50s and 25s as well. You know, I've, I've kind of modified things in working with it over the years where, um, and just tried out different things and, you know, we'll go as far as, uh, 150s typically. Okay. And, uh, what about, so these pros that are swimming that their 100s in 59 seconds per 100 yards. So let's call it 110 yeah. per 100 meters or something like that. Uh, yeah, probably 108. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, most age groupers. We have probably a lot of age groupers that are swimming their 100 meter repetitions at around the uh, two minutes or close to two minutes. Yeah. So should, yeah, should, so should they I. I still mean, do 100 meter repeats or should they just limit it to something that's shorter in time for them? Um, no, I mean, you know, cause ultimately it's, um, yeah. I mean, do you want to get in, in an ideal situation? Do you want to get, um, even for the slower swimmers, do you want to get, um, a longer distance? Absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, but if we're talking about 25, 100s on call it 120, you're looking at a set that lasts approximately, you know, just over 30 minutes. Yep. Um, and you know, if you've got kind of athletes in a similar workout, um, so let's say, you know, you're looking at, you'd be then call it 18, maybe 17, 18, 100s. Um, on two minutes or even two twenty, then you're down to maybe thirteen or fourteen one hundreds. Um, you know the athlete's still working, still has a training load where they're working. Um, you know, really, really hard. Um, on their technique, on their fitness, at the same time, um, for longer than thirty minutes. Um, okay. You yeah. know, so there are. More is not necessarily always better. I mean, you've got to look at, you know, I mean, the one thing that since I've gotten into a lot of this and, and seen triathletes and um, the road that this has kind of taken me down is that you realize that, I mean, 
ultimately and what you're really training. And I think you, you had him on, um, the, the, uh, Alex Hutchinson who wrote Endure that, yep. um, you know, I mean, the brain is playing a fairly large role in all of this. And, you know, the, the one thing that's, that's coming out of the lab around this idea is that, you know, the, the brain can effectively focus on any one particular skill set that you're trying movement skill set where you're making a really good adaptation for about an hour. Um, and when you kind of put it all together of, you know, warm up, warm down and kind of any lead up sets to get you ready, um, you know, you're looking at maybe like an hour and 20 minutes. And if you kind of have a 40 minute, 45 minute main set, um, that's kind of, you know, you're looking at pretty close to the ideal in terms of, of the adaptation. So, you know, time is a little bit more important than distance. Um, you know, obviously when we're talking about that we're time crunched anyway with triathletes, uh, it, it, you know, it becomes where you're not anywhere really near the ideal anyway, or what you need to be. So the most you can get, you know, in that time where it's ideal is the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think a few listeners, they, they may have, um, have uh, made some uh, some joyful shouts and uh, raised the, their arms in jubilation when you when you first talked about uh, reducing the volume, but uh, we're referring to the swim training yeah. programs, and that that's not what we're talking about here for the triathlon population. But it's about getting an effective getting work done effectively with, with the time with that the you time, have with the time that you have. So you know how if and we talked about this a little bit. If you know if as coaches we're pushing athletes to try and find. Um, in what they do, greater levels of efficiency, then we should be demanding from ourselves as coaches how we help athletes get that efficiency more efficiently. So, you know, what's the most efficient way in the time that you've got to get better? And um, yeah, I, I've been doing this now for, I mean, I've been in and around the sport of swimming for 38 years. I was a competitor for about 15 and, you know, basically was good enough to train with um, kind of world record holders and gold medal winners. I wasn't on the same level with them, um, but I was good enough to kind of be there and train with them on a regular basis and, and compete against them. Uh, and the one thing that you, you know, um, find out is I've seen kind of every different kind of way to train and I haven't seen anything that is more efficient than USRPT in the short run. So tell us a bit more about what you're doing to to give a, a bit of context, because you are working with uh, specifically with, with triathletes and open water swimmers at this point, and you mentioned working with pros as well. So if you are allowed to name drop a few pros, I think that would be great. And, and also just uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the triathlon space now with your swim coaching yeah. uh, to set up the context for the rest of this conversation. Yeah, sure. So um, right now, full-time, I coach uh, Balaj Choka. He's out of, um, he's in Switzerland now. He used to live here. Um, previous athletes that I worked with uh, kind of long-term were um, Matt Hansen, uh, Cody Beals, um, Let's see who else. Uh, I kind of, uh, we've got, I usually do a, a pro camp um, every January. I didn't last year for the first time, but we're doing it again this January. And this year we'll have uh, Justin Dares coming in, Patrick Brady, Jocelyn McCauley, Stephen Kilshaw. Um, we've got a couple other uh, 
um, kind of first year pros and ITU guys that'll be there as well. And some, uh, some, uh, open water swimmers that kind of ultra marathon open water swimmers that I've been training that, uh, you know, gearing up for, um, uh, English channel swims and, uh, Manhattan Island marathon swim, Catalina channel swim. So that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the age group coaching space, it's, uh, it's triathletes that you're triathletes and open water swimmers that you're focusing on and, uh, and helping the most and not pool swimmers or master swim programs or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I run a master swim program, but we're mainly geared towards, um, you know, triathletes and open water kind of distance swimmers. So we don't do the, the program's not geared to like swimming the, the master's meet program. So we don't do, you know, I am or butterfly or backstroke or breaststroke. Um, I'm not too particular on worrying about, you know, how good their flip turns are, or if they're doing flip turns at all in the pool. I don't worry about as much about, uh, um, you know, are, are they executing the perfect streamline off the wall? Um, are we working on an underwater dolphin kick? Those aren't really kind of at the top of, um, top of the list of things that I've got to worry about when I'm trying to get people better in the water for this, this particular skill set. Got it. So, so for the age groupers, let's say we have the typical age grouper that may be, maybe swimming three times per week and uh, yeah. around one hour or, or so, or maybe yeah. a bit more, sometimes, sometimes a bit less. Yeah. How, how would uh, you structure the typical training week with the uh, USRPT for them? Yeah. So, you know, typically, um, you know, if it's three times a week, it becomes really, really difficult. Uh, just around the idea that at three times a week, if you've never swam before, yeah, it'll help you get better. Sure. You're getting in the water and swimming, um, you know, going from the couch to the pool and three times a week. Yeah. Yes. You will improve. Um, you're going to see a plateau fairly quickly. And then three times a week is typically kind of, I look at it as just kind of a maintenance kind of swimming. The biggest thing with swimming, again, kind of if we get back to looking at it from the perspective of the brain, um, it's all about getting that feel for the water where you can really grab and hold the water and that really, really fine sensitivity to everything that's going on. The only way that happens is if you get in the water continuously and repeatedly and where you're not out of the water for really more than a day, but two days starts to become kind of dicey. So let's just go, I'll, I'll give you an idea from typically what I, if people come to me and say, Hey, I really want to get better in the swim. I say, okay, well, we need four days a week minimum. If, yeah. So, so take that, take that example because we, uh, most listeners will want to get better. So, uh, yeah. so let's be realistic about what, what it takes to get better. Yeah. So typically, and if we look at it this way, so we'll look at it a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. So typically the way I run the program is Monday is typically a more kind of dense aerobic, what you would be considered a traditional kind of swim program. The reason I do that is because if you've got the typical age grouper that fits in, you know, let's call it 10 hours of training over a weekend, you know, so they've got a long bike, long run. Over the weekend, maybe they're swimming, maybe they're doing um, some strength and conditioning work, but you know, they're somewhere in the eight to 10 hour range over a weekend. So they're going to be on Monday pretty tired. Um, so all I'm trying to do is get in some recovery 
kind of dense aerobic kind of stuff that really helps them recover a little bit better. Um, and we're, when we're not trying to drive in any, any real efficiency into the stroke, we're just trying to clear everything up so that come Tuesday, um, we can do more of a USRPT style set. And typically, and I, I'll vary this quite a bit, but typically, if we're looking at just a snapshot of one week, Tuesday then would be um, typically a lot of 25s, um, you know, kind of at race pace or well above it, but a lot of repeats. So think somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 to 60, um, 25s, and then, you know, 20 to 30, 50s. Um, and that's kind of where we're really built up at that point, not where we're starting. And, you know, you're always then trying to tweak it to where you get the athlete a little bit faster so that um, if we're looking at it and they're on the clock and let's say I give, you know, so like a, for a 50, for instance, for an athlete that's typically pacing around two minutes, a hundred. Um, that's going to look at, that's going to look like around a 25 to 26. Um, well, no, it's going to be, uh, 50, 54 to 56 per hundred or per 50 mm-hmm. is kind of the pace that I'm going to be shooting for, for them, um, yeah. in the pool. Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that and, while they're starting to get, and this is the really important part. So when they're, and I'm on the deck kind of looking at everybody and watching them and talking with them. So as they're going through and trying to hold that pace of 56 for a 50 the whole time, I'm going through and looking at each of their strokes and looking at the one thing that I think they can work on right now that's going to help them get a little bit faster. And then what I want them to do is while they are tired, and this is the really important part. So when they're tired and their strokes starting to break down a little bit, they're getting sloppy, is to have them focus on improving that one aspect of the stroke that we talked about. And then yep. try to replicate that over and over again. And that's where you really make big changes in stroke mechanics. That's a really good, really good piece of advice. So uh Go on with the next uh, the, the next session, the, yeah. the rest of the week. So, um, you know, Wednesday we typically take off. Um, Thursday is, has traditionally been kind of a, kind of like an easy easy recovery day. So I just kind of get in the water, and I mean, it, it it realistically doesn't even have to be anything longer than say uh, you know fifteen hundred meters, where you just kind of break it up a little bit. And, um, swim, swim with fins on, do some kicking, um, anything just to help you recover, but keep the feel for the water. Then Friday would be another kind of USRPT kind of set. And, you know, that focus would be more kind of on the longer kind of endurance aspect of things. So 75s and hundreds. So like that set that we talked about originally, say 25 100s that we try to get up to, um, where the athlete's kind of at, you know, so for an athlete that would be, a, you know, trying to improve from two minutes 100, what we do is maybe set it at initially at like 
you know, 157, 158, 100. And their interval would be 220. And so you'd be looking at, you know, say, let's call it 15 100s at 220, trying to hold 158 and see how many we can get through. Yeah. Yeah. And then we come back the, you know, next week, we do some other things to tweak it. And then, you know, and the biggest thing that one of the, the shortcomings of kind of, of a pure USRPT program is that, um, again, if we're looking at it from the perspective of the brain, um, the brain likes variety and doing different things so that, um, you know, if we don't get that variety, um, you know, athletes can get kind of stale doing the exact same thing over and over again. So we want to come at it from a bunch of different perspectives. So, you know, maybe the next week, instead of 15 100s, you go 2075s. Um, and you try to get the athlete, you know, faster at 2075. So instead of, you know, a 150, let's call it 157, 156 equivalent for a 25 or 75 would be um, around 125 to 126 for 75. Yep. Um, yep. So, you know, again, you're, you're just always trying to tweak a little bit each week what the athlete's doing and have a dialogue with them about what they should be thinking about, how they should be thinking about it, the changes in mechanics. And typically, you only want to focus on one change in the mechanics at a time. You know, it's not like, hey, you're crossing over and um, you need to work on that and you're not rotating your hips enough and you know, you're, you need to work on bilateral breathing and, you know, don't look forward when you're swimming. If you give an athlete that many stroke corrections in one setting, nothing's really good going to come of that. They're not going to, because they're not going to be able to focus on all that in, in the time of the stroke cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. You you need to pick out the one or two most important things. Yeah. And, and work on that until it becomes really kind of autonomic and you don't have to think about it anymore, actively, consciously think about it anymore, then once that change is in place, you can move on to the next piece of your stroke that you need to fix. Mm. So when it comes to structuring the, the intervals, we, we have alluded to this already. But uh, So for example, for that 15 times 100 set, we have the athlete that uh, is currently swimming at two minutes per 100. And yeah. you said that then you would set them... Uh, a one 156 157 target for for this workout and they would go yeah and, yeah and this is just a hypothetical because yeah, yeah, i mean it, it would really be you know if i'm looking at an athlete swimming in the in the in the pool um i'd be looking at a bunch of different variables that they're doing in the pool kind of in the lead up to that set um to really kind of set that pace so it wouldn't be hey i'm doing two minutes 100 uh let's go 158 well it, it might not. It might be faster. It might be slower than that, mm. depending on on what's happening that particular day. Yeah. So, so. Uh, and and the rec- the recovery between or the the send off time uh, that uh, yeah. w- How do we structure that? Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's that's pretty sharply defined within USRPT as twenty seconds. Okay. And there's there's a couple things that. Rushall talks about with that around why it's 20 seconds. So the the first one being kind of physiological where you want to give the body enough time to kind of 
uh, rest, recover, where you're really not sending it, you know, well above kind of lactate threshold. Because um, one of the hallmarks of USRPT is you want to be able to get these sets done where you get the maximum adaptation and then where you can recover the quickest so that you're not, you know, going way above threshold. So, you know, and you generate all this lactic acid that then takes a lot of time to clear for the next workout. What we're trying to do is get workout or after workout in um, where you're getting just these small little adaptations over and over again and able to recover from it really, really quickly. Yeah, but that, that makes makes sense. Uh, so what about, that's that's one of the scientific underpinnings of it, I guess. Are there, are there other things yeah. that we haven't talked about so far in terms of the scientific background yeah. of this program? Yeah, so the the other rationale for the 20 seconds rest is along the lines of kind of the brain and that you've got to give the brain enough time to analyze what it just did, adapt to it, and then go and do the next repeat. So there's got to be that little bit of pause. So if you're going like, and for any athlete out there that's done, you know, say a a 15-100 set where the coach prescribes really tight interval of five seconds rest, where all you're doing is kind of touching on the wall and going. Well, where you feel that sense of, you know, it's just like, I just got to get to the wall and go. Instead of, hey, I've got enough time on the wall to rest, think about what just happened, plan out how I think I'm going to improve it for this next repeat. So that it's this kind of neuromuscular underpinning of, hey, I'm really trying to improve my stroke here and the mechanics. And that that movement, that we're trying to improve, the majority of that movement, the skill of that movement resides in the brain. That that's what we're really trying to change. Mm. That makes a lot of sense with uh, the advantages of 20 seconds or, for example, five seconds. I, I do like that perspective yeah. a lot. Uh, what about uh, how how do you include this and uh, evolve the, the training structure over an entire season, essentially, or, or larger uh, durations of... Uh, of a training. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the one thing I've found with USRPT is, and we touched on a little bit earlier where, you know, this idea of variety that, you know, you don't want athletes getting stale. Um, so one of the things that we do is typically three months out from a race is when we start kind of this more USRPT kind of set. And then, you know, and so the big kind of focus around here, we're in Texas and in the Woodlands, is Ironman Texas. So a lot of people on the team are training for that event. And April is kind of the start of the triathlon season here. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll train kind of from, you know, January-ish to April uh, in Ironman Texas. We'll, that's when we'll start kind of a USRPT kind of swimming. Um, then we'll basically get out of it for a while go into what I would be considered to be more orthodox kind of training. We typically still don't do any repeats over about 150 or 200. Um, but it, it, it isn't the, the, the workouts aren't being driven by the pace that I'm telling an athlete to hold. I'm typically kind of manipulating the interval a little bit to get them to go faster or slower. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, so it, 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 the send of time. On, yeah. yeah yeah so um 
you know, and we'll, we'll do some other things. And, um, but I just try to kind of include a little variety. Now, the one thing that typically happens that I've found is that, um, if we come into, let's say we have that two minute athlete. Okay. And let's say in the course of a USRPT, we get them down to call it, and we just did this the other day with someone, call it 150, 100. Um, you know, where we see that kind of bump in time. Um, and it's not unusual to see that a 10 second drop per 100 in, um, you know, like four to five weeks, kind of doing a USRPT kind of program. Um, Typically, what happens is when we go out of USRPT into more the more traditional volume kind of approach to training, um, they'll typically get about five seconds a hundred slower until we go back. Interesting, but they're not even maintaining. Yeah, no. I mean, you look. It's it's tough to maintain. Um, a really, really high level of fitness uh, for a long period of time. I mean, it's just, it's not a sustainable thing. And, um, you know, the the one thing that you just got to have, especially, and this is with age groupers, pros, it's a little bit of a different deal, but along the same lines, um, you, you just have to have that variety in there. And people need a break because they've got jobs and they've got lives and they have families and, you know, um, everything kind of going on. So you got to give them that kind of mental break to kind of recharge and not get stale on what they're doing. Yep. And and then how, how long do you do that period? And do you then start another cycle of USRPT? Yeah. So then what we'll do is probably maybe two to three months where we're not doing kind of a USRPT race-based influence approach. Then we'll come back into it, you know, as we usually have a bunch of people that There'll be kind of a lot of end of the year kind of half Ironmans and Ironmans around here or people getting ready for Kona. And so then we'll go back into USRPT kind of like August, September, you know, probably August, um, where we then kind of go back on that path. That'll go through uh, typically about November. Mm-hmm. And then we'll switch out of it kind of for the holidays and then gear back up again in January. Yeah. So since you've been coaching for a long time, uh, when when did you start with USRPT and uh, what were you doing before? I'm interested to hear what your experience is with how different methods compare. For example, if you used a more traditional approach uh, year-round before and how yeah. that compares to what you're doing now. Yeah, so when I first started coaching uh, triathletes, um, you know, what I did was I, I looked at, and, you know, I found out kind of the limitations of the amount of time we had to train. Um, you know, and I had just been training kind of fairly good distance swimmers, um, in swimming when I was coaching. And so one of the things that, you know, I looked at was, Hey, I'm going from, I've got 20 hours a week to train down to three to four. So what I did was I, I made a list of everything that I knew if I was coaching a distance swimmer that I wanted to hit on. So do we have aerobic capacity covered? Do we have anaerobic? Are we raising anaerobic capacity? Um, are we doing any hypoxic work? How are their mechanics? How are their turns? How's their underwater starts? Um, 
So everything under the sun that you can think of to make a distance swimmer better. Um, and what I did was I just kind of triaged it. So what's the most important thing that we can do? What's the least important thing that we can do? And, you know, what came about was the most important thing, especially for someone kind of going at two minutes, a hundred. Okay. And I know in, in the triathlon world, everyone, well, it's all technique. Well, at two minutes, a hundred, it's not all technique. It'd be the equivalent of like, um, saying that someone going on the bike at 20 kilometers an hour, um, that it, it's, you know, they just need a better bike. Well, no, they just need to get their ass on the bike and pedal the pedal up and down and worry about, because aerodynamics at, at 20 kilometers an hour is not that impactful. Yes, it's a little impactful, but it's not that impactful. Um, it's similar to, you know, swimming at two minutes, a hundred. Yes, technique is important, but you've got to get at that point, you don't even really have the fitness. So the strength and conditioning in the water to get to a lot of the technique that's going to make you better. You've just got to get in and swim and preferably swim with a team, with a coach on the deck, with other people in the pool that are going to push you to go faster. And, you know, when you're pushed to go faster in the pool with other people, your body and you are going to find just kind of some natural efficiencies anyway. And then what we do is just kind of tweak it along as you get better. So you improve your fitness, we're going to try to improve your technique. You improve your technique, you're going to get a little bit faster. You get a little bit faster, we're going to try to keep on improving your fitness. We improve your fitness, we're going to work on some more technique. So it's this constant kind of, you know, um, switch off. And in all honesty, it's not until, say, like an athlete is going probably around 105 per 100 meters that technique starts to outweigh gains in fitness. Yeah. So that, you know, that at that point, more of the, more of the training should be around, you know, how we make gains in technique than in, you know, adding more fitness. It's, it's, you know, a lot like on the, on the bike where, you know, when you get to going at 40 kilometers an hour, um, yeah, sure. You still want to improve your fitness, but to go faster, it's going to be you looking for more and more gains in aerodynamics. Yeah, absolutely. That, that I, I really agree with that. Uh, I've seen a lot of footage of the best triathletes and open water swimmers in the world in, uh, yeah. on the swim smooth, guru, swim smooth guru platform, especially. I really like that. And they have a lot of yeah. footage there, underwater footage and, uh, also seen, yep. seen together with with some excellent swim coaches and we, we've discussed these things and and all of them have some what you would think could be pretty severe flaws in their strokes uh, anybody from yeah. lucy charles to stuart hayes uh, harry winter yeah. all, all of those guys they they have have some severe flaws if you if you look at it with a really critical eye but when you look at the times that they're doing it doesn't really matter they have the fitness and they make the technique work for them as well yeah exactly so well, and, and, you know, I mean, here's, you know, here's the other thing is that, um, you know, there is no one perfect stroke. Yeah. Um, you know, as coaches, the way you should be looking at it is that you're trying to coach the athlete because being in the water is an exceptionally dynamic environment. So it's always changing, unpredictable. 
um, a lot of instability, even more so kind of in rough conditions, open water. Um, and what you should be teaching kind of the athlete, the skill set that they should be working on is that it's a spectrum of movements that you become really, really efficient at executing. So it's not this one perfect stroke. It's the ability to kind of respond in this dynamic environment efficiently. Yep. That makes, makes total sense. Uh, so, so with the, the USRPT, the protocol that you do now, do you see a difference yeah. in response depending on the type of swimmer, like beginner compared to advanced swimmers? Of course, we know that beginners are going to naturally improve more than advanced swimmers. But, we, but if we take yeah. that into consideration, sort of relatively speaking, how big improvements you can expect as a beginner versus an advanced swimmer, uh, does this protocol work yeah. equally well for, for all levels of swimmers or is uh, one level better suited to it? Yeah, so I'll I'll so let me let me start out by first saying there isn't any one program that is perfect for everybody. That would be the first thing that I would say. Anyone that tells you, "Hey, I have a, you know, that this program um is perfect for 100% of the people," um is lying to you <laughs> or they just haven't really been looking closely enough. Um but in ge- in general, I would say that this approach is more successful with more people than I've ever seen. And look, everyone's going to get better. I haven't seen anyone not get better doing this. Um, You do have different variations in how much people get better doing this. So, you know, if you take, let's just call it, we'll call it the two minute hundred guy. Okay. Um, I've had athletes that are at two minutes, a hundred when I start working with them. Um, And I've had uh, She was a, you know, kind of early 40s um, age group swimmer that started out at two minutes, 100, um, didn't have a swim background, um, was a good athlete, was a good runner, had qualified for Boston a lot, had run a marathon as fast as I think around 305, 307. So a talented female athlete. Um, She got down to as fast as for like a 15 or 2100 set uh she was holding about 117 118 per 100 very good um i've had you know other athletes that start out at two minutes 100 where typically what will you'll see is you'll get them down to about within the first year they'll get down to kind of mid 130s to low 140s They're, they're typically swimming four times a week in in your program then and uh, it's uh, is it yeah. an hour or so each time yeah it's an hour yeah it's an hour practice um saturday we run an hour and a half practice okay and and four times per week was uh, is that the typical the norm yeah that's that's about right i mean that you would see that kind of you know kind of two minutes to like you know mid to mid 130s low 140s yeah that's that's about where it would be Okay. Okay. And so that would be kind of the 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 beginner response that you yeah. typically see. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I've had now. So uh, I don't think there's the pros have all responded really, really well to it. Um. I mean, I'll give you a good example. Like uh, Matt Hansen, when I first started working with him, he was about. Oh, I think he was one o five. To somewhere between 105 to 110 for an Ironman swim. Um, and that was kind of no wetsuit, 
you know, not in exceptionally rough conditions. So fairly what I would consider a neutral Ironman swim. Um, and we got him down to, I think when I was done working with him, we were somewhere around like 53, probably 54 for an Ironman swim. Yeah. Um, and that was all off of, he swam six days a week. Um, typically two of those days were, I mean, really, really easy, but he wasn't doing anything more than about, uh, he had some limitations on kind of how much he could train in terms of the pool was only open for about an hour where he lived. Um, and he was swimming alone all the time, but yeah, that was, that was about where we got him to. Mm. Well, that's really good. Uh, and I think we, we didn't quite uh, finish off that last question, by the way, with the comparison to, to other traditional uh, programs, but, uh, Uh, did yeah yeah i mean um so if i compared it to a traditional program um let's see i mean when i first started it was um i probably did more it was the one thing that you have to figure on is that it's got to be hard if you're not gonna you know put a lot of time in the water Um, you really don't, I mean, one of the things that got cut out right away was like a lot of drill work. Um, just because you can't take, if you're only getting three hours or four hours of work in a week, it doesn't make sense when you're going to be severely lacking in fitness to begin with, to, um, try and incorporate a lot of drill work where you're going really slow. You're not building up the strength and conditioning to, even get to the what the drills are trying to get to you don't have the kind of strength and conditioning the structure there in place to support that movement you can drill from here to the moon and it's not going to make you faster mm. um it's you're not going to see a significant impact yeah. if you don't have you know i mean you can you can design let's just say we live in you know unicorn fairyland for five minutes and suspend reality and say hey Um, we can design you and get you perfect technique, okay? Um, and you can do that perfect technique for a 25 or a 100 even, okay? Um, well, what do you do about the other 3,700 hundreds that you've got to do in an Ironman swim? How do you hold that technique together um, if you've designed the perfect technique Um, but you can only do it for a hundred. It's it, it, fitness becomes technique and fitness become so intimately intertwined that um, especially when you're starting out, if you don't have the fitness, we can work on technique all we want. And if you're not putting in the work to do it over that practice to do it at the pace you want to go, it doesn't really do that much. You're just wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels. Mm. So uh, I, I keep coming back to this, but uh, but how, what kind of improvements did you see then if you if, if yeah, you at I mean, any we, point incorporated the, that sort of more traditional approach in yeah or, or did you get right into USRPT when you started coaching triathletes? Well, I mean, I got into so I looked up like Dave Salo's stuff, and he's got a um, a book out there, and you can get it online for free. It's called Sprint Salo, um, and it's basically his idea around kind of race pace training. And so I knew that it had to be hard. Um, it wasn't necessarily kind of a, tra a what would be a traditional swim program. 
Um, but it was closer to a traditional swim program than what USRPT is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was good. I mean, I, I, here was the thing that I knew, um, coming into this 10 years ago, I knew based on what I was seeing triathlon coaches give athletes to get better in swimming, which was, you know, a lot of hours, straight swims, a lot of, you know, go do four 1000s, go do 10 400s. Um, I knew that no matter how bad I messed up <laughs> the training, even if I was going way off the rails, that I'd get people better than what they were doing with the, with the stuff that the triathlon community was prescribing at the time. Um, so I never really had an issue around, um, you know, did it work? Did it work better? I mean, USRPT works better than what I started out at. Um, and what I started out at worked a lot better than what the triathlon community was doing at the time and still does. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I was actually, Brett Sutton was here in Lisbon uh, this uh, Saturday by the time of this recording, yeah. early mid-December. And uh, and he he talked about essentially his training, coaching philosophy, mostly for long distance, but in general as well. And and it was almost like a stand-up comedy that uh, that guy is really <laughs> he's a lot of fun to watch and, and hear him talk he has a lot of stories and and the things the the stand-up comedy he had around swimming drills that that was it got all the the, the entire audience was really laughing so hard that that you wouldn't believe it uh, because he was very very critical as anybody who follows his stuff will know that he is and uh, what you're saying here is the same thing that it's at um, for most triathletes it doesn't make any sense and and uh yeah uh, some uh, very a lot of lot of great great thoughts and uh, and i'm sure that this will have been thought provoking so let's uh, wrap this up for with the rapid fire questions and take yep. 15 seconds or less to to answer these and the first one is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or swimming um i would say that i i usually like to go on twitter just because i follow a bunch of strength and conditioning coaches swim coaches track and field coaches coaches in general that are doing interesting things and just piece together a bunch of different stuff on my own of what's interesting since no one has all the answers you gotta pull from a bunch of different resources yeah good answer uh what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment uh, I've really gotten into, and this kind of gets back to don't do drills, but here's kind of how I've incorporated drill work into triathlon training. It's more of a constraint led approach. And, um, so there's a company out there called Aquavolo that makes these things called sensory mitts. And they're just like, if you got a mesh bag, it looks like it's made out of a mesh bag and it's a mitt that you wear. And, um, what it does is it diminishes your feel for the water. So it makes you look for um, the feel a lot more. And when you take the mitts off, um, you have this out sense, out sound, out basically size sense of feel for the water then. Hmm, very interesting. And uh, finally, who's somebody in triathlon or swimming or endurance sports that you look up to? Um. So, I mean, one of the, one of the and we talked about him already, uh, Dave Salos, a coach that, you know, since the early 80s has been really trying to do some innovative stuff um, within swimming and um, really hasn't worried about what his critics have said, um, even when they told him he was totally crazy and that it wouldn't work. Yeah, 
So finally, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and uh, see what you got going on. And for the local listeners in in the Woodlands, uh, how do they come and join your your sim program? Yeah, so um, find me online. You can go to magnoliamasters.com. I put a lot of stuff up on the Facebook page. So Facebook, uh, Magnolia Masters. And then uh, I've got a pretty active Instagram account. Um, I put up a lot of pictures and videos of the practices that we're doing. Uh, so people can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or just on the website. And, uh, for locals around here, it would just be, we have 12 workouts a week, uh, two different pools. So Magnolia and the Woodlands. And the easiest thing to do is just show up and start swimming. I don't charge anything for two weeks. It's just a trial period. So come on out and get in the pool. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Tim. This has been really, really interesting. I, I really enjoyed uh, hearing your perspective on training, and uh, it was uh, very fascinating. And I hope that the listeners will have uh, find as much value as, as I did. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I really appreciate the time. And uh, if anyone has any questions, I'm, I'm always uh, available to answer questions. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I found it really, really fascinating. And uh, I can absolutely see why the training methodology that the team uses would uh, be potentially very, very effective. It's, uh, in my opinion, and I've discussed this with Tim as well, off-air, uh, it's, uh, it's a very modified version of what the purists in the USRPT world would consider USRPT. But that, in my opinion, opinion is a very good thing. And uh, because it, it does have the variety, as we talked about when, when we discussed, for example, the periodization across an entire season. And, uh, and I also discussed this, the second, a second thing with Tim about labeling. And uh, I don't know if USRPT is really what I would, I, I, to be honest, I would not like to label the methodology that Tim describes as USRPT. Uh, that's just because, in general, I really dislike labeling things, uh, whether it's training methodologies or nutrition or whatever it may be. At the same time, I realized that uh, labeling things, it's a way for us to communicate ideas better. So I do understand why Tim talks about this training methodology as USRPT, because it is based on that, after all. So... Uh, but it is not the exact same USRPT that you might read about on websites dedicated specifically to USRPT in uh, in a pure swimming setting. So just be aware of that. Uh, in general, though, the, the whole concept of doing intense swim training, but at short enough durations so that your technique does not fall apart so much over the course of an interval, and also where the recoveries are short enough so that uh, you're not going too anaerobic. This prevents lactate buildup. And these two things, they play together very nicely. So as a concept, I really think that this training methodology has a lot of merit for, for many reasons. If you decide to, to try it out, be sure to let me know how things go and let the team know how things go. You can, of course, as always, find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. And uh, if you do try it out, leave your comments in uh, the comment section on the show notes page to let us know how things are going for you. Or if you have any questions about this episode, leave them there as well. Of course, I'll, always have all of, I'll also have all the links that uh, might be relevant about uh, USRPT and, of course, to Tim's website, Magnolia Masters. Uh, but there are some other articles and resources that you might find interesting if you want to dig deeper into USRPT that I'll post on the show notes uh, page. 
And just as a general reminder, this is a swimming episode. And on my website, on scientifictriathlon.com, I have a drop-down menu called Popular Topics, where the drop-down items are swimming, cycling, running, beginner tips, strength training, nutrition, and science. So in this case, if you want to find related episodes, you would just click through to swimming. And that will take you to a page where all the past episodes that I've done on swimming are basically collected so you can just click through to any single one of them and check out the show notes listen to the episode whatever you want to do and that will help you put things into into a bit more context perhaps if you want to compare this methodology to some previous episode so i just wanted to remind you of that and that of course goes for future episodes as well when we have cycling topics or running topics or whatever it may be in the next episode of that triathlon show i interview director of coaching Jason Coop at Carmichael Training Systems. So that is uh, not a bad position to have as a coach. Uh, that shows you that this guy definitely uh, knows what he's talking about when it comes to coaching. And I've had the interview with him already. And man, that is an interesting conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And Jason Coop is incredibly knowledgeable. If you don't know him, he coaches uh, TREF and in particular triathlon age groupers, but he's also very well known as uh, one of the most successful, if not the most successful, uh, ultra running coach in the world. Yes, a lot of the professional ultra runners that are the best of the best are coached by Jason Coop. So be sure to check back in next Monday. And of course, in between on Thursday, we will have another episode, a Q&A. So check that out as well. And by the way, another reminder, now that I talked about the popular topics page on my website, also be sure if you are planning on doing any races, uh, this key races this summer or spring, but you don't have a training plan and uh, you are not coached and not planning on getting a coach, then make sure that you get one of my training plans. They are really, really excellent resources for you to help structure your training in, in a way that will take you to a really good level of fitness and uh, although the accountability effect isn't as strong as if you have a coach having a training plan definitely adds more accountability especially if it's a training plan that you buy from somebody else rather than one that you just uh, write down on on a napkin or something that it does add accountability which is one of the most important factors in making sure that you stay consistent so you can check all of those plans out that I have currently on scientifictriathlon.com and just click through to the training plans page. Big thanks before we go to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Get your first box for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And big thanks to Retool that you can find on retool.com forward slash TTS. Go there to learn more about the Retool Bike Fit process and find a Retool Experience Center near you. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.